Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tanish Dimitri Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This is an Irish Independent podcast. Mullins was that Dublin team. He was that he set the standards, he drove the team, he demanded perfection and he demanded success. And that was, you know, uh, that's why I, I saw in Mullins what I saw subsequently in Team, a fellow who hated losing, but a fellow who, uh, when the going got rough and you needed things to go down and dirty, he was the man to get to, to get down deep and dirty. Hello and welcome to the special throw-in podcast with me, Sinead Kazan, as we remember Brian Mullins, the Dublin football legend who passed away at the age of 68. And to remember just how influential his career was and the key role he played in that historic Kerry-Dubs rivalry, I'm joined by Pat Spillane and Martin Brehany. Now, Martin will tell us how Mullins helped change GA history in 1974. But first, let's hear from Pat Spillane on his memories of Mullins. You know, I started uh, I started in the National College of Physical Education in Limerick in 1973 as a first year. And Brian Mullins was a year ahead of me. Brian was there with John Tobin and uh, Hugo Clerken and uh, Fermanen and uh, Dick Dunn of Leash. And Brian, I played with Brian on the senior team in, in the school uh, in, in the, with the college. And I think... Uh, I'd say we went, we, because we started very low grade. I think we went a couple of years actually unbeaten. We weren't allowed in Sigerson. But Brian was, ah, oh, Brian was, Brian was probably the guy who drove that team on the field. And that team eventually, when Brian left, the rest of that team went on to win an All-Ireland Club Championship. But Brian, Brian, from day one, from the day I met him, Brian never changed. Brian was that leader. Brian was that warrior. Brian instilled in us in that dressing room winning. It was all about winning, 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 winning. Uh, and is there any one game? There isn't, you know, because I, I said, I've often, always said it, it, who, outside of a Kerry fella, who would I love to get down in the trenches with? Who would I need to be in the trenches fighting that, that dirty battle when things were going tough? Brian Mullins was that man because he was a warrior. He was a leader. But you know what? And, and like, was there any one, like, like you, we know about his fielding, we know about his physicality, we know about he playing in the edge. Uh, but what we don't talk about a lot is the fact that a he was a very intelligent footballer, really intelligent footballer, heads up footballer, intelligent footballer. B he was a very good kick passer, very good kick passer. He was well able to score. But you know, like one thing you didn't say, you'd never say, ah, he's not skillful, and he's not, you know, he's not skillful. He's raw. But I just take people back to the 1976 All-Ireland Final 
when Brian scored the goal. And, and have a look at it again. Because if Peter Canavan or the Gooch or David Clifford scored that goal, you'd be saying, ah, oh, yeah. You'd be raving about it because you say, that's the, that's, the, that's the score of a top forward. But watch that goal by Brian. Got the ball at the corner of the square. Dummy to the right. Dummy to the left. Back on the right again. And just side-footed under Charlie Nelligan. It was class, you know. Uh, just, you know, like it's, it's, it's strange, you know, like... I find it difficult in a way. I wasn't close with Brian, but but like we had fierce respect for one another. But but you know, like it's so raw talking about fellas. Like like I grew up in a time of Kerry Dublin rivalry, and we had Pardy, and we had Tim Kennelly, we had John Egan. The Dubs had Anton O'Toole. The Dubs had Brian Mullins. These were warriors. These were the best footballers of their, of their time. These were sort of fellas you always said, these are indestructible fitness. And, and now those five are gone. And it's suddenly, you know, maybe when you're getting older, you're suddenly, uh, you know, thinking and talking about them. It's it's raw. And it's, you know, it's like, I think, I, I just think back at the last day I met Brian Mullins. And this was a typical Brian Mullins encounter. And we were at the National Football League game between Kerry and Donegal in, in Fitzgerald Stadium. And I was walking up to the back of the terrace and... Uh, uh, who was in front of me but Mullins uh, because his son Nathan was starting for Donegal that day and now in fairness uh, Nathan didn't have a great outing and I think Nathan was taken off after oh he was taken off early in the first half you know and like we were making small talk because with with, with Brian you know you, you you digested what you were going to say first before you opened it just in case he was going to take it but I remember we were making small talk but the, look, the more I looked him after Nathan was oh this guy was ready to erupt and I remember Say saying something very innocuous, I a harmless point about the game. And I remember he shouting, I've had enough of this shite. And he left. And that was the last words we ever spoke. He just left and went talking Irish to a couple of relations of his from West Kelly. That was Mullins. That was what you saw is what you got. But Jesus, he was like, you know, Sinead, you were, and Will, you were probably too young. But I mean, like I think back to the 70s, uh, to the mid 70s, when I started making my comeback in Kerry in, with Kerry seen at him and, and the GA in Ireland in the mid 70s was a black dark bleak place soccer was beginning to take over it was match of the day so Gaelic was for the cultures and it was dying a death because soccer was the new kid in the block BBC match of the day the, the Chelsea's the United's and suddenly the dubs came on the scene in 74 and Kerry came on the scene in 75 and, and that two, those two dubs teams, the dubs and Kerry, I think they, the J owe a fortune to them because they resurrected the J. They made the J hot and sexy again and popular again. And like those, that Dublin team in 74, like let alone were they brilliant footballers, brilliant role models. But these guys, every one of them, were successful in their careers. They were really, you know, on and off the field, they were brilliant. And like those Kerry Dublin clashes of which Mullins was, you know, was, was, was so central to them. I mean, they were just the greatest. Uh, you can talk about Kerry Meats and our Dublin Meat sagas and all that. But I think that with the Kerry Dublin clashes of the 70s were, the, were just something else altogether. And like, I know, like, because Brian, like, you'd always know how to rile Brian. And like, like all you'd have to say to Brian, you'd say, Brian, you've got your football from the mother's side. <laughs> oh, being one of the cases from Lisboa, her, her brother right. was a great guy. And you'd know, oh, geez, this, 
this was raw. You know, you can slag off somebody else and they wouldn't take taken or but you'd know when you say ah you've got the football from the Kelly said he's this use hurt it's used royal bright it used really get up his goat and you'd know he'd be upset and I remember it was only uh, it was only when I knew he was dying and he was gone to the hospice and you know I, I was talking to somebody a friend of his a reasonably close friend of his I said do you know he hated Kerry and he really hated Kerry and I said do you know why did he why did he have such a hatred for Kerry and he said do you know what man said he said he was right he said if you were beaten by a team in five all Ireland five all Ireland <laughs> and, and and that was it. But ah, Jesus, he was he was he was, he was just great. And like you said, you, what you you know, it's a long way of answering your question now. But I'm getting around to like that Dublin team were you know they had some amazing players. I mean, you had Keevney who came back. Uh, his his free taking was unbelievable. Bobby Dial, who was the original roving forward. Uh, was such who was such an intelligence presence. You know the strength of Darty at full back. Uh, Robbie Keller, the Prince of Cornerbacks, but Mullins was that Dublin team. He was that too. He set the standards. He drove the team. He demanded perfection and he demanded success. And that was, you know, uh, that's why I, I, I saw in Mullins what I saw subsequently in Roy Keane, a fellow who hated losing, but a fellow who, uh, when the going got rough and you needed things to go down and dirty, he was the man to get to, to get down deep and dirty. Yeah, you mentioned that goal, obviously, he scored in the 1976 All-Ireland. But towards the late 70s then, Pat, like how did you as a Kerry team kind of get to grips with him? Did Mikko have a special plan for him or what was that like? No, uh, I think it goes back to, look, we were lucky that when we came on the scene, we were a young team, a young developing team. So when we went, uh, when we went to play Dublin in 1975, and we were complete outsiders, but we were a team of youngsters. We were a team full of belief, and Miko had instilled in us huge confidence and huge belief. And we went to play Dublin in 1975, and because you've never experienced an All Ireland final, because especially you've never experienced. A defeat in an all Ireland final. We expected to win and, and we did win. And you know, 76 and 77, I don't, we started to drop our standards. Certainly 76. I think we we didn't we didn't have the, like every county finds when you're trying to put all Ireland back to back. If you're anything less than the hundred percent of the previous year, then you're 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 weaker. And we were weaker in 76. We were there for the taking. We weren't ready mentally or physically for the jobs in 76. 77. Ah, I'm not sure. Jeez, I'm not sure. I, I, I still think it goes. To, it was. A, it was. It could have gone down to either way. I, I'll still say it to the day I die. It went. The turning point was an incorrect decision by a linesman, which led to a Dublin goal. But anyway, dub, the Dubs won. But you know, we reorganised and we sort of wanted. And like the Dubs, 76, 77, the league as well. They were on top of us. And and you know, when suddenly a team gets on top of you and they're winning the two champ- big championship games and no different than Kerry, just the present Kerry team with the Dubs. We were beginning to sort of, I wouldn't say lose faith, but we were beginning to sort of question ourselves and saying, right, maybe they are better than us. Or more importantly, we questioned ourselves, why? What's different? And, and it goes back to the famous, and I'll tell you what was different and it, it's a well-known story at this stage. 19th, we decided the one thing we said, the difference between us and Kerry, we felt we were better footballers, but we thought physically they had the advantage over us. And the one thing we, we, when we analysed things, we said, you know, when we fouled somebody, it was a lot of the time a harmless foul, a pull, a push. When they fouled you, when they hit you, Jesus, you knew you were dead physically. 
dominated. And they were physically dominating us for those two years. And we decided we were playing a challenge game, a famous challenge game, 1978 for Sister Concilio in Gaelic Park, New York. First of all, the pitch was waterlogged. The game shouldn't have been played. But there and then, that day we had decided we are laying down a marker. We will fight fire with fire. And if Dublin hit us, we will hit them back after. It was the filthiest game I ever played and there should have been, it should have been seven aside at the end. There should have been so many sent up. But anyway, we got that victory in 78. And I can tell you this, it wasn't any targeting of Dublin players. Uh, uh, it wasn't any tactical approach. It was just, we felt no different than when Shawnee Shea put over that free uh, in the last, kick of the semi-final that the monkey was off that uh, off Kerry's back we felt the similar thing when we left Gaelic Park that day we just felt we had laid down a marker and we felt confident into the 78 season and we never looked back and and I goes back to a story that I always talk about Dubai. were we targeting Mullins were we targeting Keevney were we targeting no because in all the team talks and I've said this a million times in all the team talks, Mick O'Dwyer gave us over 12 years. We never spoke about the opposition and we never spoke about the opposition star players and how we could stop them. It was all about believing in ourselves as individuals, believing in our teammates, believing the collective, in the collective. Our glass was half full. And from then on, honestly, swear to God, 78, we couldn't see ourselves being beaten. 79, 80, boom, boom. Yeah. I, I suppose the fact as well, though, that the Brian came back from that near-fatal car crash in 1980 to win a fourth All-Ireland then in 1983 was so indicative of his character, Pat. Actually, that was unbelievable. I mean, this guy, like, like, physically, he shouldn't have been playing Gaelic football, was it? I'm not too sure. I can't I can remember straight off. Was, he, was, it, was one leg an inch and a half shorter than the next? But he was physically not uh, up to the demands of modern-day football. I mean, because he, he was carrying a leg. But it just goes to show, I mean... The, the the willingness, the mentality, the like, geez, what he what he put his what he put his body through to get back to playing football when he shouldn't have been ever playing football to get back playing inter county and to get back winning in Ireland. Ah, oh, geez, you know you can talk about all the achievements, uh, uh, all his great successes, but you have to say eighty three coming back after that that fatal that almost fatal car accident uh, was just unreal. That was unreal. And it just summed up everything about that that fighting spirit, that that resolve that he had, that Jesus, that doggedness, that uh, stubbornness, uh, thickness, which is all part of what drove him on. And uh, amazing man. Amazing man. Like I said, I, I, you know, I, I, when I, who's the greatest footballer of all time? Who's the greatest midfielder of all time? You can argue this all day long. But whatever, one thing I will say, no matter what list I make, but no matter what list I make of the top 10 Gaelic footballers of all time, Mullins is in my top 10 and Mullins would be in my midfield. We can argue till the cows come up who'd be his partner, but Mullins would be, would be in my midfield and Mullins is my number in my top 10 of all time Gaelic footballers. Pat, would you have, so, have socialised much with him? Like None. Going back to, no. None. None at all. Absolutely nothing. We had, I don't know, that's the thing, even though we went to college and we had some great nights coming down from Dublin and coming down from Galway and pubs and whatever like that, never socialised together, never socialised together. And, uh, you know, when the dub buys came down to list all races after the All-Ireland, uh, Mullins wasn't, you know, that wasn't his scene. Mullins was, you know, had a tight social. So we, so I never met him, like, from the time we played, Mullins didn't do reunions. I, 
<laughs> I don't do reunions either. I close yeah. chapter and move on. So we never socialized together, you know, after college, really. And, you know, there was a healthy respect for, for each other. Uh, uh, a healthy respect. But that was it. You know, yeah. That was it. Yeah. So you say he'd make your top 10. If you had to pick now, I know this is a tough uh, one. Who would you say Mullins or Jack Pochet? Ah, Jesus, you couldn't, you know, uh, Beethoven or Tchaikovsky, <laughs> Michelangelo or Picasso, uh, Maradona or, 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 or Messi or Ronaldo. Just, I swear to God, one day I can give one answer and the next day I can give you the, 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 the other answer. Uh, being biased, that said, after records, I whispered quietly, I'd probably jack off. Well, look, you know, obviously our thoughts are with his family, his friends, teammates and everyone who knew him. Pat, you, you kind of touched on it there earlier, but how does it hit home when somebody, someone from the era you played in passes away and, you know, such a young man, only 68? That's frightening. But, you know, like I, I, I should be at Brian Mullins this evening, this evening but, but I, I, a fella, I soldier, you know, a, a warrior, I soldier with in Timpano, a, a man called Jimmy Falvey died three days ago and is going to church this evening and when we won a county junior I, Jimmy Falvey is one of these fellas that's okay he'll never be talked about <laughs> he, he wasn't a great footballer but he played with Timpano he was one of those fellas that was he lined out every day he lined out full forward when we won a county junior final in 1974 uh, Jimmy Falvey was one of those those warriors in the club scene who will never you know who did it for the love of the game but I will say this I can to, I owe Jimmy my life because I was being I was being assaulted down in, in Conkeating Park in, in, in Carseville and uh, whatever it was in a county league game I was on the ground and there was three or four fellas on top of me hammering me and Jimmy Falvey came out from full forward position jumped in with his two cogs <laughs> with his two boots cogs facing and cleared the four fellas on top of me I swear to God he saved my life so you know when you talk about Brian Mullins is a colossal in a, in a way we, we've lost the colossal in our club Jimmy Falvey that's going to the church this evening and being buried tomorrow because he was one of those he was one of those fellas like Mullins, he was one of those fellas, one of those warriors, one of those warriors that, that you wanted by your side when you were playing with Timpano. And he was, you know, so look, I, I, I've lost two fellas that I played played with and, and it, it, it does strike on me. It does, it does, it does, it does, it does. And I think maybe the more, the more I contemplate retirement and the more I talk about future and I think the more sentimental and emotional and that I'm getting. <laughs> That's my old age. Well, some great stories and memories there, Pat. And let's hear from Martin Brighney now, the former GA editor of the Irish Independent. And as a young Galway lad, Martin remembers standing in the canal end watching a 19-year-old Mullins make his mark in the 1974 final. I think what people need to remember about Brian Mullins was that he came on the team at the age of 19 in 1974. Um, and Kevin Evan, obviously his club mate, uh, St. Vincent's, uh, deemed him good enough, obviously, to come on. But more than that, he made him penalty taker or, or, and, and the, at the age of 19 in a team that had Jimmy Keaveney, one of the great uh, kickers in, in the, of all time. And Mullins was, was the penalty taker. And he took... The first penalty was against Loud in the Leinster quarter final, I think it was. And uh, they scored, and people will say, well, you know, beating Loud is no big deal. It bloody was, because the previous year, Loud had beaten 
in Dublin with 12 of the team that won the All Ireland in 1974. And it's just to put a context in that in Dublin at that time, they, between 1966 and 73 inclusive, uh, Dublin had only played eight championship games, eight Leinster championship games, winning four. So they were, they were not out in the, in the first round four years in a row. And there was a huge concern in Dublin and in the GAA at that time that, that, Gale, that the GAA was in trouble in the capital. It was a time, bear in mind, the match of the day had started in the 1960s, ITV, the, the big match on Sunday afternoon, the, later in the 60s. And it became fashionable, you know, did you see match of the day last night and all of this thing? And Gaelic football, the GA was in trouble in Dublin, no question whatsoever. And I think maybe the modern generations forget that, that, that in the mid-70s, it certainly wasn't fashionable to play for Dublin at that time. And that Dublin team, they changed everything in 74. And Mullins, I mean, as I said, 12 of the team were beaten by Louds the previous year. Mullins being brought in, in, in at midfield again, entrusted at at, at uh, midfield at the age of nineteen doesn't happen very often. Although I suppose uh, Kieran Whelan came in at nineteen in nineteen ninety six, but Mullins made that he was brought in at the age of, of nineteen and made the difference probably. And of course, he should never have played in that nineteen seventy four All Ireland. He sustained a nasty uh, ankle injury. Believe it or not, in an under twenty one game. Imagine nowadays playing an under twenty one semi final before the All Ireland sem- senior semi final and final. There was a six week gap, by the way. But uh, he was in, so he shouldn't have played probably. And uh, if it wasn't the persuasive powers of Heffernan and indeed his own obsessive determination to play, he wouldn't have played. They played, beat Galway in the final, beat Cork, both were all in champions in the semi final, beat Galway in the final. And uh, I can tell you, I have visions or recollections of that day as a young Galway supporter standing. Yeah, you were there that day, Martin. I was on the canal end. I mean, yeah. 16 was out of bounds really because that, the Heffernan's army had taken over. That was the first year. I mean, again, it, the way the summer got electrified, I mean, the, the match against Louth, only 6,800 people turned out to watch that, that, that game. Now, also, Dublin had to play, for some bizarre reason I never could understand, five games to win Leinster. They had to win two games, Wexford and Louth, to get to the Leinster quarter final. It was, I don't know how, to, how, how that draw was made, but that was it. Five games to win in, a competi- uh, in the Leinster Championship. But, um, yeah, I, the, so Hill 16 was out of bounds to uh, all except the Hefo's army. So we were on the canal end. Uh, the end, of course, for Paddy Cullen made the great save for the from Liam Salmon to, to um, and for a penalty that possibly changed the game. But in the last twenty minutes, in particular, I have recollections of Mullins, uh, you know, uh, literally galloping through from midfield with the, the blonde hair flowing in the way. No great fan of his, I have to say. So where did he come from? And uh, by the end of the game, everybody in Galway knew where he come from. He he had an immense last uh, quarter of an hour in that game, and Dublin won. And the rest is history. And I'll say this, I think if Dublin had lost that, that year, the whole Dublin t- history would have changed because Kerry were emerging in 75 and weren't going away uh, for a long time, as we know. And if Dublin had lost in 74, the whole magic, that, that, that magic might never have arisen. They mightn't have won any more All-Irelands with that team. So I think that Dublin team changed the course of, of Gaelic football history. And Mullins was certainly one of the, the catalysts of changing Dublin in that year. And as a 19-year-old kid, like, we must remember. As an, exactly. That was the point. 19, uh, 19 years. It showed you, though, what, what, what Heffernan thought of him. He saw something. He saw something, obviously, different in him. And as I say, the fact that he gave him the, um, made him the penalty taker, and he also had a crucial penalty in the semi-final against Cork. Dublin, uh, Cork, who were all in Champion 73, possibly took that game for granted a little bit. And Dublin, uh, uh, but it got, they were coming back at Dublin, and they were a water penalty. And I remember Mullen slotting it calmly into the corner against Billy Morgan, one of the great all-time goalkeepers. So th- there was something different about him. Clearly, Heffernan saw that. And as, as the rest of us saw afterward, there was something different about him. Yeah. And as you kind of mentioned there, like, you know, Heffo's dubs, 
you know, they really did help save the GEA and kind of set it up for the modern version that would come then afterwards. Unquestionably, and I, I, I absolutely, because as I say, uh, you know, if you think of it, they lost Dublin losing four out of eight first round games in Leinster. Uh, they were beaten in in uh, the, the Division Two League final by Kildare in April of that year, April of '74, and nobody cared very much about them. Nobody, there was no respect for them really. And I mean, even the team themselves would tell you that a lot of those players and uh, would tell you that it certainly it, you certainly wouldn't be boasting that you were playing football for Dublin. It's as simple as that. And and uh, it, it it changed it. for whatever happened that summer. It was just unbelievable how they they, they after the loud game they then beat Offaly. Uh, or the, of course, the Leicester Chappie, the, the All Ireland Chappie, 71, 72, and uh, uh, again in 73, of uh, Leicester Champion. So, and then Kildare and Meath in the final. So, and it built gradually, gradually. Having said that, at the All Ireland semi final, I think the crowd was about 42,000 against Cork. So it was big, but it hadn't, not to the degree of anything like it was, anything like the, the modern, but they did change everything, no question whatsoever. That, of course, plus Kerry coming after them and the great rivalry that emerged. Were they just like cult heroes on the streets of Dublin, Martin? Yeah, I mean, well, they were, they were, they went from not recognized on the streets of Dublin to, to cult heroes. I mean, they really did. Nobody knew them, and they were just, they were just, uh, you know, like Jimmy Keaveney had, 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 Stop playing, as we all know, and he was brought back in '74, made a huge difference. But there was, they just weren't. Nobody saw them. If you think of it, eight championship, sorry, eight um, championship games in eight years, four first round defeats of, and four second round defeats. So they weren't, they weren't from, they weren't figuring, they weren't prominent at all. And uh, I mean, no, no team has ever done that. There's no doubt what's where uh, a team come from, what you would regard as so far back to win the All Ireland. Teams have ever just. And but did nobody, I mean, if you look back at the match reports in Dublin when they beat Wexford in the first round in 70 and 74, I think the general consensus was, and I look back at them, I, I, I won't mention a road, I wasn't in the, in the game at the time, thank God. Uh, but uh, any, anybody who had any hopes for Dublin this year should forget it that they, made, they, were, they were just deemed as absolute serious no hopers, and yet all changed in the space of between May and September. Yeah, and just, you know, what that part that Mullins played in that going on, winning those other All-Irelands, and then, of course, coming that rivalry with Kerry. Yeah, that was the point, you see. The rivalry with Kerry made it, I mean, because that, I, it's, uh, we've never had anything possibly like it if we hadn't before or afterwards. It was just unbelievable. And, and like, you, you the Dublin's your one in 76 and 77, and then in 78, were raging hard favourites to complete the three in a row. And they were leading 6-1, I think it was, after 20 minutes. And everyone thought this is going to be complete, another, another washout. They were all over Kerry. And I think maybe perhaps got a little bit carried away with it. You had backs coming up, shooting for points. And that happens nowadays, not so much in those days. Then suddenly it all changed. Uh, the goal, uh, Kerry got a goal. Then, of course, the Mikey Sheehy goal. The second half, the Barmer 3-2 from play in the second half. What was it? 5-11 to not 9 in the end. Uh, unbelievable. And it, it, you see, the, the the modern day Dublin team, the won the six in a row. That that Dublin team would have would have uh, would have had three more Irelands if it weren't if they weren't unlucky enough to come up against the greatest team of well all time up, up perhaps up to the modern Dublin team, but certainly and that's arguable as well. But uh, the, so that that's how good they were. That rivalry they lost then in 78, 79, They were on the way out, and and then of course Mullins got injured in nineteen eighty, and again. Awfully beat them, I think it was by two points in the Leinster final in eighty. Mullins wasn't there. Would that have changed? Would that have changed the dynamic if he was playing? So, it was an incredible, an incredible rivalry. And, and of course, we had the Hefo, 
FO and, and uh, Mikko uh, sideline scenario as well. But Mullins was at the heart of it all. And then along comes Jack O'Shea, the greatest midfielder I've ever seen, the greatest player I've ever seen. I'm sick saying that, but I will. I think I'll go to my grave saying that. Um, and the rivalry and the and the 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 the, 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 the it, it jewels between those pair and it was, were just they were just memorable days. And of course, also at that time. Uh, unlike now, when there's all short kickouts and all this, like, there were there were there were real contests at midfield at that time. You had to be able to hold your own under the high ball or ground ball, any ball, and under the high ball. That, that the, the 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 rivalry and the duels there were fantastic. And what kind of dealings would you have had with uh, Brian Mullins yourself, Martin? Uh, what was he like to deal with? <laughs> well, I, I, well, as, yeah, well, uh, let's put it this way: he was no great fan of the media, and I think really. 1983 and the uh, the All-Ireland final, I think that, uh, that whatever whatever detente was going on prior to that, that was the end of it because uh, he was set off, uh, as you know, and all the, the three dubs and uh, Galway Man set off and that famous, that uh, infamous rather, All-Ireland final. Uh, I, I can tell you a story afterwards, uh, a couple of weeks later, the disciplinary system kicked in and they were all summoned to Crow Park, uh, several players, Managers as well, because they were all in trouble. Everybody was in trouble. And um, just shows you, nowadays, it's all very sanitised, the disciplinary hearings. But we were all we all knew what, what time the meeting was on. So we were all up on Jones's Road and the, the players, managers, the whole outfit, and all their advisors coming up, coming from both ends of the road. Uh, Mullins uh, wasn't best pleased with a piece I had written in the Sunday Press at the time. What did you and, say? And informed me of same on his way in. And again on his way out. So, <laughs> our, were our you harsh on him, Martin? Were you harsh on him? Oh, I was. Uh, I was harsh on them all. I suppose. Well, I wasn't harsh on them all. They all deserved. They all deserved to be uh, uh, to be harsh on them. I mean, Dublin, Galway, the whole lot. I mean, it was. A, it was. It was. You know, it was a, a disgraceful uh, uh, scenes that took place that day, and all that went on. So, I wasn't harsh on them. I suppose I was harsh on the fact that. They had uh, uh, the All Ireland final, the great showpiece had been ruined, and of course the embarrassment it brought on the entire GA at the time. But, but, but none of the others seemed to take any exception to it. I mean, there, there were others. I mean, I became afterwards. I mean, great. I did several interviews afterwards with with Kira Duff, for instance, who was wrongly vilified, I have to say, in, in some quarters. Uh, but uh, he had he had no problem either than any of the others. But Brian, Brian took exception to it, and. Um, I, I, to be honest, I think he retained that uh, afterwards. Any time I came across him, I, I so we say I, I, I felt the, I felt a cold sort of wind blowing my direction. But uh, but that was him, and uh, doesn't uh, that, that he didn't have to uh, make any excuses or apologies for that. That's the, he he wouldn't he wasn't one of these fellows who would uh, yeah, say one thing to your face and something else behind your back. He, he said it to your face, and uh, I certainly got it that day. But um, Nothing could take away from from the player he was, and I think the, the one thing, the one, the one, I suppose, sad aspect of it was that that car accident he had in 1980, uh, he was still like Dublin were in transition, and they needed Brian Mullins to 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 be at the centre of that transition, and of course he missed two years, and he was never quite the same player when he came back, and one of the saddest things I suppose was in 1985 he was captain against Kerry, uh, and the game passed him by really at midfield, and you could see him. You, know, you, could, you knew, he, knew, he knew exactly what to do, where to be, what he should be doing, because, my God, nobody knew it better than he did. But the body wasn't able to do it anymore. And he, he moved into the half hours or, uh, early in the second half. He went into right full forward at one stage, and he came back out to get to midfield before being taken off, by, before being taken off by Hefo, the great mentor uh, uh, who had 
brought him in in 74. And it, it was just a, a football decision he made because he could see that the game was passing him by. But you just wonder if he hadn't had, if he hadn't, uh, hadn't been in that severe, uh, that nasty accident in 1980, you know, Dublin, uh, Dublin's transition would have, been, would have been much easier because he was, he was in his prime at the time and possibly never, probably never came right back to, to that level again. Yeah, absolutely. And and just overall, finally, Martin, I mean, his legacy, a great legacy he leaves. Well, let's put it this way. Any time, and, and it's, it's still a great pastime for everybody picking the greatest teams and the greatest players they've ever seen and all that. I mean, Brian Mullins will be on the table uh, from midfield. I mean, I would, to this day, I, I, I'll be unchanged until the day I die, it'll be Mullins and Jacko, and yeah. that's it. And I don't care what I see from now on, <laughs> and that's some admission. It's Molo, it's Jack, Jacko and Mullins. And different players, but what a combination, what a combination that would be, and what great days they gave it, what great rivalry that was, and uh, a truly awesome midfielder. And as I say, will always be there when any debate is, is uh, on the table about the greatest midfielders of all time. Martin, thanks for that. Well, that's it for this special edition of The Throw One, remembering Brian Mullins and my thanks to Pat and Martin for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. This is an Irish independent podcast.